Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Yo. Yo. Aubrey Edwards, Tony Schiavone, we bout to party. We bout to party. Unrestricted. Got the house now. We gon' turn it up, up, bring the house down. Got that big space pump and make them bounce now. Flossing like they bossing and the freaks are coming out now. This is AEW Unrestricted, the official podcast of All Elite Wrestling. Aubrey Edwards and Tony Schiavone here with you. In your earbuds or headphones, whatever it is you, you use to consume audio. Hey, Tony. How you doing? <laughs> hey, Aubrey. <laughs> whatever you use to consume audio. Yeah. I mean, some people listen to it on speakers. Some people just... You're the best. Some people wait until they're in a car. I don't know. I'm, I'm just yeah. letting you know how people listen to things and how ears work. Some people recite it back. They listen to it and they say it back and you hear it from the next person and you whisper down the lane. There you go. There you go. Some people call that telephone. Anyway, yeah, the yeah. wonderful uh, sultry voice you just heard was Mr. Bryce Remsberg, my personal favorite referee. Uh, really? Doctor said AEW, but oh yeah, one hundred percent. Tony, what a day for you! Both you, two of your favorite referees in the same place. Tony, what do you know about that? Hey, he's looking. He's, he's looking around. <laughs> he's looking. He's looking for. He's looking for Tommy Young. He's looking for Nick Patrick and Mike Posey. I'm looking. Yeah, for Mike Posey. Ah, uh, Mike Posey. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, we're here with Bryce Remsberg. Every time Tony calls me, Aubrey, he says, oh, if it isn't my second favorite referee. And I say, you better, you better not let Aubrey hear you say that because who, who knows who number one is? I don't know. We, we never found out. I don't know, man. I, I would put Tommy Young there as a, if I were to guess Tony's favorite referee. I don't know. Anyway, speaking of referees, you know, Bryce Remsberg here. Wonderful, wonderful referee, extraordinaire, storied indie career. Uh, lots of fun stuff to talk about today. I'm going to kick off with probably my favorite Bryce Remsburg match I have ever seen, which is Invisible Man versus Invisible Stan, <laughs> which, Tony, I don't know if you've ever seen this match. I have not. Okay. Setting the scene a little bit, uh, Joey Janela Spring Break, WrestleMania weekend, and there's backstory. There's a guy named Invisible Man. He's facing Invisible Stan, and it's literally a wrestling match with two invisible wrestlers. And when it was announced, there's like a match graphic with literally like the logo of the event and nobody else on it. And the first thought I had was the only person who can pull this off is Bryce Remsburg. Yeah, uh, they definitely <laughs> announced the match before they asked me if I wanted to do it. So <laughs> it, mm. it's, it's a good thing I said yes. Yes. But there is a, uh, um, I guess I was uniquely qualified or something, but... And, and, and a lot of people have very a lot of very nice things to say about this, including Mark Henry, who told me his son watched it this past week, which I was. Whoa. Whoa. And I was like, did you watch it, Mark? And he's like, no. I was like, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe that's for the best. <laughs> but it was a unique moment in time in which a, a lot of people have a lot of nice things to say about that. But in the in the truest sense, the real stars of that were the audience that Joey Janela and GCW cultivated, uh, because had they not been involved in, you know, intrigued and excited about this it would have been a long eight minutes for Bryce or 10 minutes or whatever it was uh but I was given this weird shaped ball uh to referee a match between two invisible people I kind of like 
created, I guess, what would be like a stand-up comedy set list. Uh, we'll do this, then we'll do this. And if this is going well, maybe it'll take a little longer. If this isn't going well, maybe we'll skip to this thing. And I ran it by two people who I trust, who now both work for AW as well. Uh, one was Orange Cassidy, who just nodded and thumbs up. And one was Oligo Ethan Page, who are kind of uh, comedic wrestling brains that I trusted that were in the building. And they maybe tinkered a little thing here or there, but more or less, I just went out there and it was a blur and then it was over. And uh, I didn't think much of it and opened my phone and it was, you know, the craziest response I'd ever gotten. I was actually already booked for Double or Nothing in Las Vegas when that happened, but I like to tell people that match got me booked because uh, <laughs> K-fabe. Uh, K-fabe, one, of the, one of the young bucks tweeted about it. It was like, oh, you know, you should come, to, you should bring that to AEW. And I was like, and, and, and many fans thought that was me getting booked for the first time. Like that was my, I got hooked up with AEW because of the Invisible Man match. And then maybe the second or third time I met Tony Khan, he complimented me on it, which kind of blew my mind that he has time to yeah. watch that, that kind of nonsense on YouTube. Uh, but it is, it is free on YouTube if you, you know, have 10 minutes you want to waste away. It's not waste at all. The shot of water <laughs> sequence, table spot, ref distraction. It's got greatest hits. I absolutely love it. Thank you, Aubrey. I'm going to have to watch it. I'm, I'm very intrigued now. I'm going to have to watch it. See? see? We're, you were there, right, Aubrey? Like in person. Uh, in, in, I was. You were, in, you were in New Jersey, at least. I was in New Jersey and New York that weekend. The whole weekend's a blur. I'm sure it was for you. I think that's the first time I met you, or maybe in New Orleans the year before. New Orleans the year before. I yeah, think yeah, yeah, yeah. Beyond Wrestling. That's but right. yeah, that was definitely a like, hey, we're going to have to change the order of the refs because Bryce needs to run to New York because the Athletic Commission <laughs> needs specific paperwork. And, that's true. Uh, <laughs> I did I did, I did, I did, 10 shows in one weekend. That was my personal best. I did 10 shows in three days in New Jersey, New York. It was pretty crazy between Ubers and subways and my car. And yeah, it was nuts. And that was kind of my, the, the last go hard on the Indies weekend I ever did. But uh, that New Orleans weekend to that Beyond show that you're talking about, there's, there's a match with Tony Storm and Tim Thatcher that was like 2.30 in the morning. And it has like 30 million views on YouTube or something. Like it's, I don't know why or how, but the internet's a weird place, as we can all agree. Uh, Bryce is, uh, before we get into your journey about AEW, Bryce is a big baseball fan. That's true. Well, kind of. He's a Phillies fan. <laughs> but Bryce. Tony. Yes, go ahead. Let's humble brag about Tony for a minute. I was on very recently on the Pittsburgh Pirates field with one Tony Schiavone, and he was approached by the manager of the Cardinals. Right. And we were walking by the Pirates dugout and someone goes, Schiavone. And he goes over and talks to the guy. And the guy's so excited to see Tony. And we're walking away. And I say to Tony, I was like, who is that? He goes, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> and then we like we we hi we came to learn that uh, this was a minor leaguer in the Braves system who was also named Bryce. Right, Bryce right? Wilson, who was a yes, yeah, yeah, he was a uh, uh, reliever for the Gwinnett Braves when I did uh, the games, and uh, he just he's with the Pirates now. He came out and said hello to me, and we were all on the field that day. Uh, Britt Baker threw out the first pitch. I was the catcher. It was a great moment for Britt, and it was a great moment for AEW because. We were kind of all elevated as as kind of big stars that day. It was quite a day, wasn't it? It was quite a day. We got to sit in the sit in the suite. I had never been on a. I mean, I might have like paid to take a tour, but I'd never been a guest on a major league field before. Right. It was it was very very cool, and it was big for Brit, and it was big for AW. It got a lot of good uh, traction and attention in a city where we all were uh, in advance of the first rampage. Uh, in in Britsburg, it was it was it was a good day. We got to sit in a suite with a Culture City family right. and learn about them a lot and their their uh, purpose and their their mission. And it was a it was it was a really really great day. Sometimes as 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 a family man, Tony, a, a day. 
day off in a city is kind of like, oh man, I, I'd rather be right. home. But that day, that was a day off well spent in Pittsburgh. Yes, it was. And you and I, uh, before we go to the next question, which will be Aubrey's, you and Excalibur drank a six pack of beer and a whole bottle of vodka that day, which I thought was That's great. Not true. <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> that is not true. I had stuff to do later in the day. No, no, no. With, Really dragging Excalibur through the mud here. No, it was a 12-pack and two bottles. Oh, got it. Uh, I, I forgot Excalibur was part of this, so it's got to be a lot of booze. <laughs> Ricky Starts was Dion. Ricky Starts for the bill for that one, if, if truth be told. Yeah, we had a great time. We really I'm had a great time. i the, uh, the pirate parrot on that one. That was his uh, bad call. Yes, yes, yeah. It was his, it was his. So, so you had mentioned that uh, Invisible Man, Kayfabe, was the reason you came to AEW, but... I want to talk about your journey to AEW, like the shoot version. When did you hear about AEW and when were you approached? When the Young Bucks, the the first promotion ever to fly the Young Bucks to a wrestling show was called Chikara, which is a long running Northeast based in Philadelphia promotion that I was with from day one. And when the Young Bucks would come to Philadelphia or New York or wherever, I was the one that picked them up at the airport because I did all the travel. I did a lot of the travel for Chikara. This is 2008, 2009. I would pick these young, kind Southern California Christian boys up at the airport. I would take them to Wawa. They would be fascinated by the touch screens. Uh, and I would take them to their hotel. And we just kind of developed that relationship that way. And we always had a, a very, you know, not best friends, but a very friendly relationship. And we kind of kept in touch over, you know, the internet over the years. And when All In got announced, which was kind of uh, the precursor to AEW, I was like, oh, you know, I don't have a lot going on. I'm pretty much over my pharmaceutical advertising job. I'm going to shoot my shot. And I reached out to the Bucks and they said, um, this All In is a uh, Ring of Honor production. So we're going to use Ring of Honor uh, referees, but just uh, stay put and trust us. I said, okay. I will stay put and I will trust you. And then on Christmas Eve 2018, which is seven days before all before AEW was announced on New Year's Day, they just said, we can't tell you more now, but save this date. And the date was May 25th, 2019, which I'll never forget. Uh, it was the first Double or Nothing in Las Vegas. And then on New Year's Day, AEW was announced. Double or Nothing was announced. And I, and I think you have a similar story, Aubrey, was originally hired as a freelancer. Uh, we were on per-show agreements. Uh, first was Double or Nothing 2019 and All Out 2019, and then we got added to Fighter Fest, Daytona Beach. Yep, yep, Fighter Fest and Fight for the Fallen in uh, Daytona Beach and Jacksonville. But before we even got to All Out, our per show agreements were enveloped into full on contracts, converted into full on yep, contracts. Yep, yep. Yes. August 1, 2019. Was that your is that your hire? Mine date was too? September 1st, which is funny okay. enough the day after the title match with Hangman and Chris. I'm like, oh, I'm not even you a full time employee. You could have held them up for more money. I right? could have. Right, yeah. I could have. Like, you're putting me on the stage, man. Like, why didn't I ask for more money? <laughs> Excalibur and I got hired the same day, August 1, 2019. And, uh, you know, we kind of ex we exchanged fun texts every August 1st about, you know, happy, happy hire -versary. Uh So, yeah. And then it's been ever since. And we I have since re-upped re for another couple of years. And then the travel portion of the job became part of the package. And I am, you know, pretty much eat, breathe and sleep all elite nowadays. But that is that 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 is the real story that the Young Bucks got my foot in the door. I don't think I'd ever met Cody Rhodes or Kenny Omega before Double or Nothing. I may I may have met Kenny on a show somewhere, but I don't think I'd ever worked with him. I had never met Tony, obviously, until we got to Vegas. And then I remember leaving Vegas and we were done early because it was, you know, like seven o'clock. It's like, oh, we're all going to go to this this party at this place. 
It's like, okay. And we waited in line that, you know, Tony had run out an entire lounge at the MGM Grand. And I, you know, this was not an everyday occurrence in my life in those days. And it was just like a very strange, we just, you know, we have to wear collar shirts and go to this place and it's open bar and all you can eat. And just like, you know, wow, this is just, this is, this is how it goes now. And uh, never looked back since. Bryce Remsburg, we're talking with Bryce, uh, one of our great referees. And Bryce, you kind of glossed over uh, the travel thing came into play. Now I, I, we need to we need to really qualify this. Everybody, tra- everybody travels. I get it. When when uh, people listening to this podcast hear you say the travel thing came came into play, they're going to think, oh, well, you got on an airplane and you travel just like all of us, which you do. But the travel thing for you is more than that because you're a travel guy. Which to me, two things there. It it has to be many times a nightmare, and I know you're too nice of a guy to really say that. And working with Chris Harrington has to be a freaking nightmare as well. Oh, boy. Okay. Real wild card. So, but, Verbally abusive, <laughs> physically abusive. <laughs> but, but you, I guess, uh, you and uh, Paul Turner work on the uh, – are, are the two guys that work on the travel for everybody? Yeah, I, st- I started as an assistant, and then I kind of took over the department in December of 2019, right. which was not a planned part of this job. I just kind of fell into right. it. And uh, since then, I have taken on more responsibility and more people. And I'd say when, when AEW started Double or Nothing, between talent and crew, you're probably flying or putting up in hotels maybe – 70 or 80 people and then when dynamite started it kind of became 90 95 100 but nowadays we are in the between staff and talent we are in the range of 130 140 150 every week and while i don't personally book all of them i do oversee all 140 of those so that's you know um before we started this podcast i was adjusting hotel lists for our next adventure and uh it is strange because Aubrey, you probably feel this way sometimes too. The 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 uh, talent portion of your job might accommodate for a bigger um, dollar figure, but the office portion of your job uh, <laughs> yeah, time and yeah. stress significantly uh, more. <laughs> yes, and and I and I'm I'm happy to have both, and I am very appreciative of the full package because it allows me you know benefits as an office employee and all that good stuff, and. Paternity leave when my son was born was because of my office job. But time-wise, we are more in like a 90-10 situation on the travel versus the refereeing side. But I have said this in seminars before. The more hats you wear, the harder it is to get rid of you. Boom. Job security, brother. That's right. That's right. I can't speak for Hawaiian shirts, though, Tony. You should. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking to Bryce Remsburg, referee, travel agent, all-around amazing human being. Coming up, we're going to talk a little bit more about his background and how he got into this crazy business. It's AEW Unrestricted. Tony and Aubrey talking to our good buddy Bryce Rimsburg, uh, all around great travel guy, and obviously one of the best referees. Uh, Bryce and I started this thing. I, I don't. I guess maybe I started it because I didn't really, in the 18 years that I was away from wrestling didn't really follow wrestling obviously i didn't follow indie wrestling but i'd always heard that there's this referee he's a great fucking referee his name's bryce fucking rimsburg yep and so <laughs> so i would see bryce i said remember who the fuck you are you're the <laughs> best referee ever in the indies you're bryce fucking rimsburg that so, would cheer me up on stressful right, days i will okay, be honest well, good. just pa- pass you in the hallway and say that to you you're like you know what you're right tony <laughs> it's great <laughs> uh so let's talk about how you started refereeing uh, you trained, right? Uh, went to a wrestling training school with uh, Mike Quackenbush and Reckless Youth, right? Oh, that's true. Look at you, Tony, doing your homework. Uh, 
1991, I became a wrestling fan. I was seven or eight years old. It was the Ultimate Warrior, the Macho Man, Larger Than Life, you know, the colors I couldn't turn away. Right. And then I discovered independent wrestling when I was maybe 14 or 15. Then I could drive to shows and I realized that like, you know, WWE and WCW, Tony and NWA or whatever it is, those are like, that's you too. That's the Foo Fighters. These are these giant concerts. But you can go see this cool indie band or a cool indie show in a VFW hall and it's $10 to get in and there's no guardrails and you can touch the bottom rope and get in the ring at intermission and hold the belts. And like that was very attractive to me. Uh, so as I, by happenstance, the two guys I like to follow on the indies most reckless youth of Mike Quackenbush opened up a wrestling school called the Chikara Wrestle Factory in Allentown, Pennsylvania, home of the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, Tony. I know you know right. that. Uh, in 2002, I was a freshman in college. I was not excited about college. So two nights a week, I drove up there to learn how to referee. Um, I, I don't know if you can tell by my 5'5", 150-pound frame, but I am not a, a an imposing physical specimen. I am not an athlete. I was the guy that played little league and hoped the ball wouldn't get hit to him. <laughs> so I wouldn't, so I, I wouldn't embarrass my dad in front of his friends. So the, uh, the idea of being an athletic supporter and not an athlete was very attractive to me. And the thought of being a referee, which is you get to travel to all the towns, you get to, you know, attend all the events. You don't have to pay for a ticket anymore. You get to be in the ring and sort of part of the show. Like that was very attractive to me. And it was half price to train as a referee than it was as a wrestler. And I was a very poor college. I was a very poor college kid. So sign me up. And I, I learned how to wrestle when I trained. Like I learned how to take bumps and I learned about, you know, the positioning in the ring and all that stuff. And I did a couple of practice matches. So I have that information way back in me, but I'm also uh, fragile and small, and I, I very much like the referee role. I, you know, get physical when it's necessary, but but not every day. And I also like the concept. Obviously, things have changed now, but a, a wrestler's shelf life when I started training in 2002 was 38, 40, 42. You're done. You know, that was the ECW years did a lot for that, I imagine. But it's different now. But I am confident I could be a worthwhile active referee for at least another. I don't know, six months, a year. No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Far into my 40s. Far into my 40s, hopefully. 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 Please. I hope so. I look up to Brace yeah. every day. I'm just like, oh, man, really? this guy's great. He gets to work with Shaquille O'Neal. He gets to work all these crazy matches. Actually, how <laughs> how did the whole Shaq thing happen? Because I know that like you were flying down to Atlanta to do some like positioning and whatnot. The way that happened was my height, and there was a there's a visually jarring uh, visual of uh, a five five referee next to a seven one professional wrestler, and I think that is sometimes why I get assigned some matches. But definitely the the seven one Shaq against the five five me was uh, you know, and I, I went down and. We, you know, walk through a couple things with Shaq and make sure everybody's comfortable. Everybody knows where we're going to be. Everybody knows how, how it's going to go. And it went and it was a success. And, you know, he didn't seem to hate it and uh, seemed to have a good time and thank me after. And, you know, it was crazy. That was, that's like a thing that, and I, you probably understand this, Aubrey, you have high school friends remember that don't really care about wrestling, but when something like that happens, they're like, Oh dude, that's cool. And I was like, yeah, it is cool. Like I can do cool things every week, but this is the thing that you know about. So <laughs> yes. as a viewer of Kazam and an Orlando magic fan, as a 10 year old kid, that was a very, very, very cool thing. And Shaq was super, super cool. He was down for whatever he went through a freaking table. So we, yeah. you know, he was, 
obviously in, in it to win it and uh, a part of the part of the game here. And I, I would I would not be surprised if somehow, some way uh, he resurfaces in the in, in the wrestling world somehow. Somewhere. Were you there with us when we put him in the ambulance? I didn't walk to the end. I, actually, I did because there was probably some earpiece time cue business, but you would be on top of that as well. But he just, it was crazy. He just vanished. The big man just disappeared. Yep. I don't know how that happens. That was probably the Kazan. There's probably some genie in him there. There must have been a magic lamp and the ambulance. I don't know. I wasn't in there. But yeah, it was a pants on fire moment. Is what it was. Oh, yeah. Actually, hair on fire moment is what it was for me. So, yeah, not for me or Shaq. No, no not at all. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so uh, you've had uh, a lot of people you're very close to in wrestling. I, I mentioned Excalibur, obviously, and, and you've been very close to Orange Cassidy because you guys go way back. What do you think about his success in AEW? I would have never predicted it. Orange Cassidy is kind of the offbeat uh, Shakara Invisible Man flavor of wrestling that I, I loved on the indies that I didn't think had a shelf life on a major league national primetime promotion. Uh, but we seem to have caught fire. I, I think that he, this is a, a strange analogy, but the, the way people related to Steve Austin, the guy that gets to flip off his boss, the guy that gets to beat up his boss and just kind of do what he wants. Like there is a generation Y or a millennial equivalent that orange Cassidy follows. Like if you can get by on doing the bare minimum, isn't that the dream? You know, like if, <laughs> if, if, you, if you can be popular and have a full job and people will buy your t-shirts and your merch and everything, because you're just getting by doing the bare minimum, like that's it. That's what's up. Why, why run when you can walk? Why exert energy when you can lay on the apron? But yes, I have known him for a very long time. And then even like every possible barrier there is to break, like, Oh, he'll, He'll be in this battle royal, but he won't be on. He won't get hired. Or he, he got hired, but he won't be on Dynamite. He, he's, he'll be on Dynamite, but he'll never wrestle Chris Jericho. He'll wrestle Chris Jericho. He'll never wrestle for the world title in the main event of a pay-per-view. And lo and behold, every one of these checks go down the list. And and here we are with, with, with no signs of stopping. Yeah. And uh, that's a commitment to his uh, his character and the way he believes in it and the way he feels about it and the way he protects it. And, uh, you know, we've converted Tony Khan and Chris Jericho and Cody Rhodes and Kenny Omega and on and on down the list, all these people that, you know, may have never heard of Orange Cassidy three years ago, but now have worked with him and given him the seal of approval. So it is exciting to see what happens next. My my favorite thing in the world on the indies and still to this day are without fail, there is someone who's never seen Orange Cassidy before. And he his music plays and he comes down the ramp and you're like, what is this? And by the end of the match, they're applauding or standing up or they've already gone to buy a t-shirt or whatever it is and they used to have on the knees all the time his music would play and people would just like roll their eyes and not get it and he has a charming way to convert you and uh now instead of converting 10 or 20 people at a time he's converting a, a thousand or two thousand people at a time so he's doing comic cons and he's you know it's ridiculous he's, he's amazing and and aubrey before we go to your question here i want to say and this is not about orange cassie it's about bryce remsburg the and the story of how Orange Cassidy became Orange Cassidy to me is one of the most amazing indie stories that I've ever heard in my life. But that's another story for another day. All right. I love the uh, I love the analogy of Steve Austin flipping off his boss because I feel like Orange Cassidy flips off the idea of professional wrestling and sort of right, right. what it was and has defined what it is today. So, yeah, it's like he took what Steve Austin did and did it better. Like, let's just put over Orange Cassidy on this podcast. <laughs> so so you had you had said a little bit early on you were, you know, Chikara day one. A lot of really huge names had come out of Chikara, Orange Cassidy being one of them. But also, you know, we, we see a lot of like Brody Lee, Claudio Castagnoli, a lot of these other guys. Do you have any favorite moments from Chikara? Oh, man. 
we did our first iPay-per-view on uh, in November of 2011. This is like when this was a new thing, when you could stream an event and it would happen live. Like Twitter was kind of new. You could watch wrestling on YouTube, but it, you couldn't watch it as it was happening on your phone or your laptop. So this was a very exciting thing in 2011. We did an iPay-per-view called High Noon, and it was, you know, the biggest live crowd we ever had at the East Arena in Philadelphia. It was the, the crowding of our first champion, which went on to be Eddie Kingston. The Young Bucks were in the opener. Marty Jenny walked them to the, the ring. It was just like all the stars aligned, like 10 years of work culminated on this day. And that was really the high water mark of Chikara for me. And not that great stuff didn't happen after or before, but that's like the prototypical moment that like the moment in time that I was like, wow, like we're part of this really cool thing. My wife, all my friends were there. Like, this is like, we, we all much like Tony and Aubrey, when we're, you know, you're sitting at your laptop and working on AEW on a Monday afternoon or a Friday night, or you're getting text over the weekend to do something. And you're like, okay. But then you realize you get to Wednesday night and dynamite's live and you're in the ring or you're at the commentary table. And you're like, Oh, these are the fruits of our labor. Mm-hmm. We put in all this other stuff on the weekend because we get to do this and it's worth it. It's always worth it. Everyone in AEW, I feel, would say that or they wouldn't be a part of AEW. So that's kind of how that felt as a microcosm with Chakar. All the helping with the travel and doing this and the referee stuff and blah, blah. It all kind of worked up to this one thing where we were the talk of the wrestling business for one night only. I hope that helps answer your question. Aubrey. It does. But I do want to, before we move on to Tony's question, I want to take the opportunity for you to talk about your friend, Larry Sweeney. Oh, sure. Because I believe you guys met at Chikara or like very early on and whatnot. And every year I see these hashtags 12 large and multiple people had asked like, please talk about Larry Sweeney so we can keep his legacy moving on and whatnot. So of course, of course, Uh, sweet and sour Larry Sweeney was uh, born in 1981, but his, the character he portrayed when he debuted maybe like 2004 was that of a 1981 Memphis heel. Boas, purple and pink, big gaudy sunglasses, cackling promos. He was basically, I don't know, um, the, the fabulous ones or, or the Valiant Brothers. I, I don't know what the exact pinpoint was, but he was a generation removed in a world of Chikara was a lot of comic book characters, mask characters, luchadors, silliness. And he was the guy without a mask that was just cutting old school promos and uh, saying Jack and daddy at the end of every sentence. And he was also, you're right. He was also a very uh, intelligent guy. He had a, he went and studied. He was, he was a legitimate carny in India. He went over for, for a year to like work at carnivals. He had a, he had a college degree in psychology, went to Oberlin college in Ohio, really, really smart guy. And in a world of, you know, guys that you can only talk about wrestling with. I could only talk. I could always talk about something else with Alex. It was Larry Sweeney's real name, which is named my oldest son. Is named after Larry Sweeney. Named Alexander. Uh, yes. And uh, unfortunately, one of the reasons that I'm such an advocate for mental illness, Alex's mental illness got the best of him. He was uh, unfortunately bipolar and unfortunately killed himself in 2011. And it was just kind of a story of what could have been. And you'll hear every year around the day, either his birthday or the day he died as the anniversary was uh, 2011. You'll hear people say about, you know, what he'd be doing now. He'd be a millionaire, he'd be a billionaire. He'd be a manager in AEW. You know what I mean? Like he'd be managing private party and Matt Hardy. Who knows what it would be, but it's really fun to think about. And he, and Eddie and I were the three of us in our formative years of independent wrestling. Uh, we took a lot of years, hours in the car together. We were driving to Florida. We were driving to Minnesota. We were driving to Chicago, we were driving to Iowa, but just those hours and hours and hours, like those just form bonds and friendships. And specifically five of us, which is uh, Sweeney, Kingston, Chris Hero, and Claudio Castagnoli, who's now Cesaro. Five of us have a 
unbreakable bond because of all that time spent together. I, I have a framed picture in my room of the five of us just completely exhausted after a uh, long weekend of, you know, eating park buffets and driving through the night and sleeping on floors of hotels and everything of the five of us just completely exhausted posing by my car from 2005. And uh, yes, there's a bond between uh, Eddie and Alex and all of us. And uh, it, it is the least I can do to talk about him and hashtag and make sure he is remembered, but YouTube is a great tool for that. A lot of his stuff was, you know, YouTube was existing in his hot years, which were kind of like 06, 07, 08, 09. So a lot of that stuff lasts. He, he had a stint with Ring of Honor as a manager, but thank you for asking about him, Aubrey. I appreciate that. Thanks for the questions, everyone. We're talking to Bryce Rensberg. Before we go to the fan questions, one more question from here. And since I spent many years in baseball, I know you're a baseball guy and you've met many mascots. How, how many have you met? Ooh, major league Either mascots? major or minor league mascots. I've definitely met Screech the Eagle from the Nationals, right. the Oriole Bird, the Philly Fanatic, the Pirate Parrot. Uh, we missed, my son and I went to the Cubs a few weeks ago. We, we missed Clark the Bear, the, the Cubby Bear. I'd say, I'd say four or five major league ones, but at least 15 or 20 minor league mascots. That's kind of the pastime. The same part of my brain that likes independent wrestling likes minor league baseball. Because as you can attest, Tony, it's a lot of long bus rides, mm-hmm. um, you know, hot dogs and hamburgers and catering, and that's it. <laughs> Drives through the night, Motel 6s, Super 8s, knowing that you're not getting paid what you're worth, but doing it anyway for the love of the game. I, I have a lot of affinity and respect for minor league baseball because I know those guys are trying to work towards a thing for a lot of them are never going to happen. Right. You know, how many, how many thousands of people play baseball but make it to major league baseball? How many independent wrestlers make it to a major league full-time promotion? Like it's a very small number, but it's the hope and the dream that keeps them going. So I have a lot of time and energy for minor league baseball. And if you have kids, the tickets are a lot cheaper. So if things go haywire, it starts to rain, you leave, you're, you don't feel obligated because you spent $80 a seat. You have to stay the whole game, pop in and pop out. There's, there's, there's always a giveaway. There's always, you know, dollar hot dogs or $2 beers or whatever it is. Like, I love it. I love it. I'm sure you've met uh, Ferris and Fifi at the Iron Pigs, haven't you? I, I have. Yes, yes. yes. The Fer- do you know why they are, they're named Ferris? Yes, I do. Aubrey? Do you I know have Aubrey? no idea. I have no okay. idea. Please, please enlighten me. The chemical symbol for iron is F-E. So they are, they are pigs, but their names are based in iron. F-E, Ferris and Fifi. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if they're husband and wife or whatever they are. Who, what, are what are the Gwinnett Braves uh, mascot, Tony? I don't know. It... <laughs> don't they have fish of some kind? I can't. I can't. Uh, it was a. Is it offensive? No, no, no. I can't remember what it was. I, I can't remember. It's a fish of some no, kind. It, it, it may be a fish now, but they were the Braves before. Like a grouper? I don't know. Uh, it, no, it was Chopper. It was the big teddy bear Chopper. That's oh, what no, it was. Yeah. You're thinking of the Stripers. I think they're the, that's what you're thinking yes. of, yeah. Aubrey. They became or were the Stripers. Yeah. Yes. We're all right. Yeah. And, and by the way, just a little uh, thing about the, the Iron Pigs from Allentown. The basis for making steel is pig iron, and that's why they call themselves the Iron Pigs. There you right. go. They also used to have a mega touch game at the urinals. I don't know if oh, I played that game at the urinals. I sure did. <laughs> and you could, as, as, you know, you could steer or move the frog across the river with your urine With your stream. stream. So I used to chug a bunch of water and I drive the Iron Pigs game, but then you get stuck in traffic. You're like, oh no, we're not going to make it. I have to pull over at the rest area. But that is, that is sexist arguably because women didn't get to play this game, but it, a great time had by yes. all. You would, you know. And, and it probably ended up selling more bottles of water and soda and beer because you wanted to play the game. So brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, I've got, I've got a picture of it somewhere on my Google Photos. Great time. Because I said, here it is. 
Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. The pic- the picture is is everything or just the the game? No, the everything. The urinal and the and the video screen and everything. No, like like everything. The joystick. Is <laughs> no, it's not the joy. The joystick's <laughs> not on there. <laughs> okay, 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 good. Okay, good. we're gonna. Re- we're- I'm I'm incredibly <laughs> jealous right now that I don't have the required hardware to play such uh, video yeah. games. So, congrats mm. to you, gentlemen, on this uh, wonderful. You're a, you're a game developer, Aubrey. Get on yeah. it. Let's uh, go. I mean, out. like it's it's really hard to be precise with my equipment i'm just gonna say okay, fair enough, fair enough. That's fair. wow this took a terrible turn and <laughs> we'll take another turn because fan questions are next for bryce remsburg aw unrestricted continues with bryce remsburg not only one of the best referees in the world but one of the nicest guys and uh, Bryce, uh, Darren Report wants to know on Twitter, what's been your favorite match to referee in AEW so far and why? Oh, Darren, I'm going to go with uh, Moxley and Kingston I quit match at the Full Gear last November. That had a personal connection. Eddie and I started together in 2002. We were, you know, the, his first day of training at Chikar, I was there when he walked in, in in the fall of 2002. And I've known Eddie for a long time and he took a very scenic route to AEW, but he ended up where he was supposed to be, and somehow, some way, uh, three months after signing his contract, he's in the main event of a pay-per-view for the World Championship against John Moxley, and uh, he asked for me to be in the ring with him, and Moxley was fine with it, Tony was fine with it, and we, and it was, you know, everyone didn't know at the time, but we knew it at the time, and Brody was very sick, and, you know, before the match, Eddie and I kind of had a moment, just like, I don't know how we got here, but here we are, and uh, we said, we dedicated to Alex and Brody, and it was uh, a night I'll never forget. And I was like sort of involved with the run up to the match a little bit. Uh, I, I, Eddie had gone to bat to get me promo time on dynamite, which is a very strange uh, way to do things. And it was just kind of the culmination of like, it's exactly where uh, Eddie was supposed to be. And the fact that Mox was so accommodating and giving and respects and understands Eddie's talent. It was just, it was awesome. It was really awesome. I mean, and anytime doing a world title match is a great responsibility and honor, but doing it in the main event of pay-per-view is an even bigger one. That, that, that one sticks out to me. Thank you, Darren. Thanks for the question. We have a question from Tex Lightbomb on Twitter. Any chance of seeing you? If, ref- that, if, if that's a if real that, Okay. We'll <laughs> get to that. We'll get to that. Lightbomb. <laughs> right ahead. Any chance of seeing you rough a match between the Invisible Man and Invisible Stan on AEW? The original was truly the greatest, as we had mentioned. Do you see that as something that could happen at AEW? I don't think the Nielsen ratings go that low. <laughs> I'm worried they won't be able to, to, to read it, how that would happen. If anyone have any time for that? I don't foresee that. I, I kind of see that as a perfect moment in time that happened once. And I wouldn't even want to try to duplicate it or try to make it better. Like, I'm going to leave it as it was, I think. But thank you for asking. Espen Solheim. Espen Solheim on Twitter says, would you please give me a better handle? No, he didn't say that. He said, Espen Solheim <laughs> says, how would you describe the feeling when Chris Statlander boops your nose? Oh, it is, uh, it's euphoric. Have you been booped, Tony? Yes, very early. It just, it, it just sends something over your whole it body does. that you can't explain. It's, it's like a jolt of electricity. It makes your heart skip a beat. It's, there isn't a real uh, perfect explanation, but it's, it's wonderful. It's just, it's everything that's right with the world. It's, right, Aubrey? It's you've been 100%. Booped. It's kind of scary yeah. initially because you're not sure what you're expecting. And then all of a sudden you're oh. filled with joy and happiness. Yes. Yes. It's just, it's just, it's like transmitting good vibes from one person to another. It feels yeah. great. We have a question from Anime Otaku 2. Who is the scariest talent you have ever encountered in the ring, and why is it negative one? <laughs> He's, so <laughs> He's so mean. He's so bossy. 
He's so bossy. A couple of guys kind of get in their uh, in the zone, and it is hard to differentiate the person, the character from the person. Pac being one, when Pac's in the zone and he's coming out, it's like, oh boy, here we go. This guy's not screwing around. I find Malachi Black to be a very uh, his character kind of consumes him when when the red light is on, and I then. But yeah, it's hard to be negative one. He is he is just so mean and bossy. Yeah. Yeah, he's a little punk. He's a little punk. Orange Coffee, I want to know what story behind the leg trip movement that you do before you go down to make the count. I don't know. I just kind of happened. It's it's not intentional. It started and it's uh I've been asked to how to like duplicate it or replicate. I just don't know. It's it's just a weird thing I do. Sorry. No story. Okay. <laughs> You had alluded to this a little bit, and someone asked the question, Kyle L. on Twitter, what was it like cutting the promo with Eddie Kingston? It was so authentic, you can't help but feel like it was from the heart, and it must have been so fulfilling getting to become so successful that you get this microphone time. <laughs> That's very nice. Uh, it did feel great. It did feel from the heart. I did run it by one person, and the, the actual, the last line about saving yourself from yourself, Brody Lee gave Aww. me that line. And that was one of the first, one of the last times Brody was with us, unfortunately. Just weird how everything happens for a reason. Everything kind of comes together. And Eddie and Brody were very close. I, I, I still don't understand quite how that happened. I don't really know if it was authorized. And, I, you know, Eddie said it was okay. And Moxie was cool with it. And Tony was cool with it. And, and it happened. And then I was actually, the show wasn't completely live that week. And I got to watch it at home. And it really confused my dog because she was watching me. I was, I was sitting on the couch. I was, she heard my voice on the TV and she, I was sitting next to her and she looked at me and she looked at the dog. So for, for that alone, it was all worth it. But yes, it, I, I don't foresee it happening ever again. I am glad it was, um, my nerves are glad it was during the pandemic era of uh, professional wrestling because that on live TV in a completely full of arena would have been a whole different bag of anxiety worms. But uh, it was it was cool. It was very cool that it got to happen. It was very kind of Tony and Eddie and Mox and whoever else allowed it to feel that confidence in me that I would screw it up. Yeah, to follow up on that, uh, you mentioned uh, Brody and you and Brody were very close. Uh, you had a very emotional interview that you did during his the show where we celebrated his career. Uh, you worked closely with Brody for a long time, right? I did. We we came up together in Chikara. Uh, he kind of the the character, the um, what he was famously known for for a long time the the trucker, the the white tank top, the bandana. That was that was a Chikara character that kind of evolved into WWE, and we grew apart. I also know Amanda. I, I refereed for Amanda in 2005 at an indie show at a county fair in Rochester, and. I grew apart from Brody, but the cool thing about the wrestling thing is when you haven't seen someone or, you know, I mean, we like text happy birthday and stuff. We haven't seen someone for six or seven years. The day he showed up as the exalted one, it was like no time had passed. Sure. We were joking about old things. You know, I remember being able as the travel guy when he was a surprise still getting to email him and sort his flight to what we thought was going to be to Rochester, but turned out to be to Jacksonville. But just that feeling like, Hey man, like, you know, and we're catching up over email we're catching up over text. And then he was there. And it was like, we, we took a picture that night. Um, this is before Eddie showed up, but it was Chuck Taylor, Orange Cassidy, Brody and I took a selfie to send to Claudio because we were at uh, Jacksonville. Claudio was at Orlando over there taping TV and just kind of like, hey, man, what's up? And he sent one back of him and Drew Gulak, who was kind of our crew back in Jakara. And it was just it was great to have him back in my life. And uh, since we had diverged, you know, and I said this on television, when we diverged, it was more about wrestling. When we came back together in 2020, we were husbands and parents and i have two sons he has two sons and we, we ended up talking about that a lot uh balancing our time and and, and brody is a, is a big one uh, matt and nick do this as well um 
I don't think maybe Tony, when you were breaking in the idea of being a present father and family man and being a big wrestling, you know, being completely involved in the wrestling business really lived in parallel very often. Right. You hear stories about, you know, these guys missing their kids' births and this is a credit to Tony and AEW and, you know, the present day, but you don't hear a lot of that anymore. Like Brody was the guy that made it work. He took his family very seriously, took his career very seriously and he made it work and he decided where the boundaries were. And if that means driving home after show in Jacksonville to sleep in his own bed and wake up and take his kids to school, Brody would do that. If that means uh, me, you know, flying in the day of a show sometimes so I can take my kid to school or be there for a birthday or something like I'll do that too. We show up for work. We show up for work. It's time to work. We go home. It's time to be home. And, uh, Brody taught me a lot about that. And he taught me a lot of things, but that was something definitely in this last year that he shared with me. And being able to be around negative one, negative one, two, three, which is Rhino and Amanda and just seeing them and them still being able to be in our lives is I think a wonderful, beautiful thing. And it's obviously not what anyone wanted and not what anyone planned for, but I think AEW and the AEW family has made the best possible lemonade out of a giant, awful pile of lemons. No, very well said. I think you had described Brody Lee as one of the faces on the Mount Rushmore of wrestling dads. Yeah. Yep. 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 Uh, We got a question from Turney Master on Twitter. What is the most ridiculous thing you've ever done when you were involved in Chikara? <laughs> I uh, uh, was blown up by an invisible grenade. I, uh, <laughs> was, uh, I, I body slammed and gave a tombstone pile driver to an animatronic ice cream cone. I don't know. I, 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 I ended up winning. Somehow I won an eight-man tag team match once. I beat up everybody on the other team. I don't very, very strange. A lot of it's a blur, but it's uh, uh, probably on the internet somewhere to uh, disgrace, confuse my children one day. My favorite individual one is where you died in the middle of a match and then oh, came yeah, back yeah. as the underbrace. <laughs> yeah. I dove once. I did, I, did a, I did a front flip off the top turnbuckle under like a giant pile of dudes once too, which was uh, uh, not pretty. Not pretty at all. <laughs> well, it shouldn't be pretty because it's wrestling. No, that's wrestling true. Is hard. That's true. It reminded me why I'm a referee. Uh, the Broken Agent wants to know, at The Broken Agent, will there ever be any more Bryce seminars in the future? Oh, uh, I don't know. My free time in the pandemic put a curtailed that. Uh, but I would say, never say never. I would I would love to get back into that. And I feel like I have a new perspective to offer. I was lucky enough to go to the Nightmare Factory in March and speak to those guys and girls. Kind of with a, I look at my indie years, which were 17 years as getting my bachelor's degree. And now Mm -hmm. AEW is kind of getting my master's degree. I learned something every week from you, Tony, from Jim Ross, from Cody, from Arn Anderson, whoever it is, like there are people everywhere to learn from and to figure out, you know, you see what is done, but you don't really see why it's done. And just listening to the, you know, the way you and Excalibur and Jim throw to each other and the way that that flows, like that's fascinating to me. And the way you guys mark up your formats to how it, how like that's all going to be divided. Like you never think of that when you're watching dynamite or rampage or any kind of wrestling, like so many minuscule decisions go into that stuff. And so many of them are based on split seconds and the pressure and feeling Aubrey, I know, you know, you know, I'm talking about of, being responsible for drawing, bringing a main event home at an exact, when you're on live television and it, you know, it's 953.55 and you want the match to end at around 957.56, but we're going to go off the air at 959.59 and there are moving parts and extra people and there are, it's a six man tag and you're the only one with an earpiece and you're trying to conduct an orchestra with with few words. It is a, there, there are all kinds of high pressure situations that I didn't even know existed but now we 
all three of us in one way or another deal with them on a regular basis. And like with anything, repetition is key. Like you, the, the better you get it, the better, you, the more comfortable you feel about it. And for me, at least I didn't feel like I got my, like my master's degree sea legs under me until the pandemic started. And maybe it was just having some tape shows and not having audiences or small audiences, the, the, the stakes felt lower, but I feel like I really got my confidence and reps down last summer and fall and winter. And now that we're back uh, live every week, adding a new show in arenas, touring again, like I feel a sense of confidence I didn't have when we left Salt Lake city in March of 2020. That's just me. But I guess that's another lemonade of lemon situation, but I do, I do feel like repetition is key. All those dark matches we did at two in the morning, you know, like the, mm. that wasn't always fun in the moment, but it made us all better at our jobs. Yes. Yep. The wrestlers, sure the commentators, the referees, everyone, the, the production guys, the camera guys, like you just, you got reps in and now you feel a little more comfortable at it. Now you feel better equipped to do your job when it's eight Oh one on a Wednesday night. Yeah. Or nine, nine fifty eight fifty two or whatever Tony says on Wednesday night. 958. We we're, off, we're off the air in 90 seconds. We're off the air in 90 seconds. Bring it home. Why are we're we still wrestling? We're on live TV. I know we're on live TV. I, I know. know we're on live TV. I know. Stop you're yelling on, at you're me. On but but you're, you're on camera right now, so don't worry. Okay, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> you're on camera, buddy. You're on it. camera, buddy. <laughs> we get through it. We get we, Every week, uh, uh, there's a great analogy that I've heard that I think applies to AEW. Uh, Saturday Night Live does not go on the air every Saturday at 1130 because the show is ready. It goes on the air because it's Saturday at 1130. So when it's Wednesday and it's 8 o'clock or it's Friday and it's 10 o'clock, whatever it is, the theme's going to play, the power's going to go off, and here goes nothing. And maybe we're changing stuff on the fly, but guess what? We're going to get it done, and, and we haven't missed a week yet, you know, so. Yep. That's right. All right. Question Makes from uh, Ref Aubrey on Twitter. Is Bryce Remsburg your real name? And how did that whole thing start? <laughs> this is another thing that my high school friends and my, they, I get, uh, you know, texts that every time Jim Ross says it, I don't know why he says it. I've asked him. He doesn't know why he says it, but. <laughs> I've shown Tony this, and I'm going to put my thumb over my address here, uh, but it is mm-hmm. my real name. Well, I might have... Bryce Remsburg. Yeah. Bryce there. Martin that's Remsburg. My, my Pennsylvania driver's license, that's my real name. That's my picture. It is my real name. I'd like to sell that once and for all. Um, <laughs> I don't know why it started, but it seems like it's not going anywhere. Uh, uh, people show up with a sign with it saying it recently. I get it on Twitter every Wednesday, so it is. Uh, I'm learned to live with it. It is my real name, but it, I feel like it will make it harder to imposter me or impost me. I don't. Yeah. So now, now that it's out there, I've said it's my real name. We talk about it being my real name. It will be tougher to be a Bryce Remsburg impressionist or an. And I'm I'm looking at you, Alan Angels. Really, imposter. I'm talking <laughs> to you directly. I know. I know you're younger and you got the tattoos and the muscles, but age before beauty, buddy. You know what I'm talking about, right? You know what, right, Tony? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'll just let you know, the day that you showed me your life driver's license, yeah. I went out there that night and said, the referee is Bryce Martin Remsburg. <laughs> so my middle name on TV, which led I said middle name, and when I said that, Excalibur, like, <laughs> fell out laughing. <laughs> which led to a whole, a whole new wave of my, my dad, my wife. Why did Tony say your middle name? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. I guess. Huh. I guess. I guess. At least. At least they're saying our names, right, Aubrey? Right? Like that counts for something. Well, I mean, they fa- they say my fake name on TV. Like literally every other ref we have in the court does their like legal government name, and I'm like, 
why do we call out Bryce's name as potentially being like fake when it's like, I'm the one with the actual fake name. The day I debuted, we were supposed to come up with a fake name for me and no one thought of one. So the show started, they just used my real name, didn't know any better. And that's like, I guess, you know, here we are 19 years later. So fine with that. You just get stuck. Thanks, Bryce. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Aubrey. What a delight. Yes, it was absolutely wonderful. Yeah. And and you weren't the last on our list, as you had said to me last week, like, oh, you must be running out of guests if you want me on here. I did. I did. I guess. You haven't, had Alan, Angels, you haven't had Alan Angels on yet, have you? No, we have not. See? Okay, good, good. Age before beauty. I'm still in it. <laughs> Uh, you can follow Bryce Remsburg on Instagram at the Bryce is often right, and on Twitter at the Bryce is right. That's D A Bryce is right. And what about our podcast, Aubrey? You can listen to it every Thursday morning. We've got new episodes on your favorite podcast app. Listen, like, and subscribe. And then if you prefer to watch the YouTube version, those go up live Monday mornings. Just search AEW Unrestricted on YouTube. Speaking of YouTube, we have mm-hmm. Dark Elevation on YouTube on Monday. Monday. We have Dark on YouTube on Tuesday. And, Tony, what do we have on TNT? AEW Dynamite, 8 o'clock, 7 central, live on TNT. And that is on Wednesdays. And then Fridays, we now have Bryce Remsburg presents AEW Rampage. <laughs> Bryce Martin 10 o'clock, presents. <laughs> 10 o'clock, 9 central. And that's on TNT as well. My name is Tony Schiavone. My name is Aubrey Edwards. Rhombus represent. Yeah! Thanks for listening to Unrestricted, everybody. Yay! Come on, throw your hands up, let me see you. Unrestricted.